What did you eat for breakfast? I ate two granola bars and I washed it down with a uh, soda water. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 143. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at taris-studios.com or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. Drawing on 60s psychedelia, 90s grunge, and grandiose prog concept albums, Canada's Ground Level Falcons are a band whose sound is hard to pinpoint. Vocalist, guitarist, and main songwriter Matt Gardner takes us on a journey through the conception, creation, and recording of their new album, Skyline, along the way discussing the band's history, his own musical beginnings, as well as what has been driving his endeavors in and out of music since he began his journey. Make sure you also check out Matt's podcast, The Electric Soil Podcast, and my own appearance on his show a little while back. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, I'd be really grateful if you would consider signing up for the mailing list to stay in the loop with everything going on with the show. Just head over to musiconyourownterms.com and click the link. While you're there, you can also visit the store and grab some merch, or just buy me a coffee and help out with the running costs of the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm hanging out with Matt Gardner from the Ground Level Falcons, and also he had me on recently to his own podcast, the Electric Soil Podcast. How you doing? And welcome. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Yeah, I'm I'm doing very well, and yeah, thanks again for joining my me on my show, and yeah, pleasure to be on yours. Awesome. I guess the start. Let's just dig into your new release. It's, it's called Skyline. So I listen. I've been listening to it a little bit, and I get a lot of mix of influences like it, it's it sounds to me a little bit 60 psychedelic a little bit of aor here and there 
and then like more modern Stone Temple Pop. Well, I wouldn't say more modern, but maybe nineties grunge, totally. all mixed in. Yeah, it's 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 hard to kind of pinpoint. So yeah, I mean, and I noticed it's also a a concept album. So let's let's start there. Like, could you talk us through the concept and then maybe the writing? Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, first off, I you know we get that a fair bit, which is uh, to me it's it's a it's a fairly high compliment when somebody can't quite place it like mm. it just shows I, I i was kind of saying on a few of the other interviews i was doing it's like ah, nobody necessarily wants to be a derivative of another band right. like man you sound exactly like you know this or that so I've, we've had uh, the the privilege of being like a compared to like a wide spectrum of different bands throughout you know all the different eras and all that so pretty cool that you're kind of uh you know fall full suit with that as well and I appreciate you listening to it, obviously. Yeah, no worries. So Skyline, it is sort of a concept album, but well, no, it is. Take out the sort of. It is a concept album. Uh, I say sort of because it's not one of those concept albums. I mean, people generally cringe when they hear concept album. They go, oh, gosh, here we go. Right. <laughs> and it's kind of like shoved down their throats a little bit when you kind of think of, you know, Pink Floyd, The Wall or Tommy, The Rock Opera, which is, you know, obviously amazing. But uh, at a certain point, it's kind of. I don't know. It's uh, it gets a little dense potentially for the listener, right? As far as like, mm. it's a little too much to have to grasp potentially. Uh, so it isn't necessarily like that. And what I mean by that is like the album I feel is strong enough as like standalone songs. Like you could I, a listener that has no idea that it is a quote unquote concept album could come into it and just go, oh, you know, this is a good set of songs. Like it isn't like I said, it isn't really jammed down anyone's throat that it is that. But having mm. said that. It is available for those types of people. Like I personally, that's just the way that I like art and I like approaching even movies and such. I always look at the bonus features and I like to go a little bit deeper, mm. sometimes a lot deeper with presentations of, of you know, artwork, uh, whether it's music or even books like, uh, you know, the stories behind books. I love hearing about, you know, the, t the backstage tension, like on a movie set and how that kind of created something that you mm. saw in the movie. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I just love all that kind of stuff, like the layers and the stories behind the stories. So that's kind of what we try and do. Well, I, I try and do. That's how I, I always present the music. So Skyline, basically, I'll try and kind of capture this as quickly and concisely as I can. There's a few layers going on. So Skyline Trail is a hike that's in the Canadian Rocky Mountains, uh, which is about four hours close to where we live in Edmonton, Alberta, up here in Canada. So basically, there's it's a 27-mile hike, and there's five campsites on it are five different spots that you can stay on as well as obviously your entry point and your exit point so the numerology mm -hmm. of that being seven i tied in with the story of the album itself is that it's a it's a breakup album right it's a breakup of a relationship so i wanted to tie that in with like the seven stages of recovery or the seven stages of grief uh however you may know it as so uh, incorporating that so each song sort of signifies one of the stages of recovery as well as it sort of signifies a path on the trail as sort of a metaphor for coming out of this, you know, the kind of painful situation and, and uh, turning it into a, a positive by the time you're, you're finished the trail type thing. So as far as the songs and how they line up, they, they kind of tell a story as well. So they kind of in, in capsule, for example, like Human Trigger, basically the song or yeah, the album starts with an intro, which is just sort of like supposed to be sort of a, a, like a beginning credits to a movie. It's just a 30 second kind of creepy vibe kind of thing to kind of get you in the you know the the mood of the album i guess and then so human trigger starts off and then human trigger is the first actual song that's kind of mm -hmm. your shock and denial uh your face gives it away is pain and guilt blood memory which is kind of the most angry and fuzz laden mm -hmm. song on the album is anger and bargaining dislocation is depression uh strawberry moon is sort of the upward turn it's got a bit more of a whimsical nature to it 
you can tell there's a you know a shift in the mood at that point in the album uh running like a river is about reconstruction and then skyline which is kind of the the six or seven minute kind of collage i guess at the end collage sort of construction at the end as the final song is sort of the acceptance and hope which is sort of tapping into you know, and that's why I sort of almost got this dream sequence where it's almost like this uh, mm-hmm. transcendent moment in the album. So that's sort of the idea there. And the, the final layer I did want to discuss as well, because uh, we're rather proud of it as far as the storytelling aspect, uh, is the uh, incorporating Olivia, who is the uh, the female backing vocalist on the album. So mm-hmm. she is obviously the, representing the female you know, side of the relationship that's broken up, obviously. And I'm, I'm portraying like the protagonist as the male side. And so she shows up in different... I guess, different ways, depending on what the song is trying to get across. For Mm -hmm. example, Human Trigger, the first song, she's purposely kind of washed out with reverb and kind of in the background seeking. It's it's sort of the impression that the the guy is trying to get this person out of her head, out of his head. But she kind of is just sort of that's why there's a bit of a call and answer, like he'll say something and then her voice comes in. So that's why we purposely did this call and answer to kind of give this impression that, you know, it can't quite get her out of her out of his head. And that sort of thing. And then Blood Memory, where it's a little bit more angry. Mm. She just shows up just a little bit like sort of faintly in the background of the the otherwise wordless choruses and that type of thing. Right. And then there's a straight up duet with Strawberry Moon, which is kind of the upward turn, which is sort of more accepting of the situation and a little more. Um, what would you say? Like a sentimental. So it's almost like um, looking back on on uh, some of the relationship is more of a positives than than the depressive aspect that you might have earlier on. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I got the idea just I I, I do a lot of my writing out in nature. Hmm. And I've always been sort of intrigued by I, I just like the idea it's just kind of one of those things I always like to pull different elements of kind of what's going on in my own life. And then of course, you put the, the fictional sort of veil over top of it. Because it's a I learned from a very early age, uh, you know, it's 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 you know, when you put yourself out there and you're, it's almost like your journal is like your lyrics, then people are always like, are, are you okay? Is that actually how you feel? And, and so mm-hmm. I was just, I, I kind of have purposely put this, uh, this veil or uh, veil of fiction on top of what I, what I otherwise know is my own experiences, if that's what, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm going with, with, uh, with all of that. And again, it's like, it, it'll work as a, as a standalone album, but uh, if you want to get into the, the back story of it, uh, there's a lot, a lot to uncover there as well. So it's uh, sort of a choose your own adventure type situation right. with the album. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's killer. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, I mean, man. One of my one of my all time favorite concept al- or albums of all time is the Arion album, The Human Equation. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that, but it's no, I'm not actually prog metal and Arion or Arjen Lukensen. He's he's a Dutch guitar player writer does everything but he he's not one of the you know he basically creates studio work he never really plays live but this has like everybody who's everybody in the prog prog metal world and they all play different characters cool cool it's it's a really awesome album you know you basically it's the really short version is guy gets into a car accident gets into a coma and turns out he he sees his wife and his best friend supposedly you know being close before mm. the accident and then the the whole album is basically him wrestling with his feelings and is getting trying to get out of this coma and each person or each vocalist on the album is either him his wife his best friend and the rest are all the emotions so you got uh. one voice for anger one voice for you know sadness one voice it's it's is really well constructed and you know that's why your album really you know, that kind of 
level of detail and, and really putting that much effort into the story and the and how it's constructed, you know, audibly is I love that stuff. I really do. Awesome, man. Hey, I, yeah, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I gotta write that down. That's that sounds actually quite fascinating. That uh, sorry, mm. Arion, and what's the album? Yeah, so A A Y R E O N, and the album is called The Human Equation. Okay, but yeah, that sounds that sounds fascinating. I love you know what I love that stuff, that kind of stuff, man. Where there's like there's more to it, like it, you know you you can just listen to it, but also there's just so much more layering. I I love that. Mm. Honestly, it 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 makes it, the songwriting for me easier when I have that framework, that structure beforehand, right? When I, when I'm going in and I've already got, mm. yeah, it's the lyrics almost has come to you at that point. When you've, when you've gotten everything, but the lyrics, man, it makes it so much easier. You know, the, the fun part for me, as far as, you know, the, the creating part is this is the structure, the parameters that you put in place. That is fun for me. That gets me so amped up. I just love, I've always loved that. And then the lyrics almost are, like I say, are just, it's, I wouldn't say obviously not secondary, but it's almost like it's you you've it's it's ah oh man, I don't know how to word it. It's it just they just kind of fall into place, I guess, because everything is mm-hmm. like you put the framework out and then they just kind of come to you, you know, and it's like that's sort of the last piece of the puzzle because everything else is, is the framework has already been created and we spent all this extra mm-hmm. time beforehand. So yeah, it's right. uh that's it's cool. It's cool. So you you come up with the storyline and that that first and then how do you come up with the music before you get to the lyrics like how do you come up with mm. those melodies and you know from the do you, do you like read the story and really I, I assume you you know it's like normal writing you 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 do a rough draft and then you really kind of make make the concept more solid and, and you go through a few drafts but at what point are you kind of starting to think about the melodies and how the f- songs are actually structured yeah no good good question good question so yeah, basically the songwriting process for us or for me specifically, I generally actually, you know, I, I write a hundred percent of the songs, but having said that I am very open and support collaboration with the other guys for numerous reasons. I just, I'm not, I'm not a control freak. I don't have, I don't, my, is it, my ego is such that I don't need to have, you know, everything. No, no, this is the way it is because I came up with it. In fact, quite the opposite. I'll bring it to the guys. I'll, I'll let brendan and greg the rhythm section so the bass player and, and drummer they'll kind of you know c- create some uh, different turnarounds or, or different things that'll just help the 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 song make a little more sense like greg mm-hmm. is uh a performance major he took in music in school so he's just phenomenal he's kind of like the the filter guy like he's like okay well this is a little bit too long let's edit this out like he's he's really great for that so but I, i'm getting a little ahead of myself so basically what i do is i'll i i will I guess come up with a concept first, something that really speaks to me. And I guess this is what people talk about when you, when you talk about like, like your muse. And if you, I, I believe that everybody sort of has a, uh, like a recurring story or like a, uh, like a voice that is inside them. And if you really truly tap into it and you find a way to tap into it, that's, what's going to speak to you. And you're, it's just going to kind of come out. So I've always, I've always gone with that. And, and the way that I find that is by going out into nature or whether it's, uh, you know, just going out to a cabin in the woods and just having just be allowing more than anything, getting out of the way of it. I don't really like necessarily look for it. I just put myself in an environment that I, I have always found has been sort of a lightning rod for creativity for me. And that being what I mentioned, other just walking around in the woods or just in isolation in a cabin or like just with my girlfriend and the dogs, just away from everybody, turn off the phone and just allow. So that's kind of where I come mm-hmm. up with the concepts. And from the concepts, then it's, it's very quickly for me because then it's just like, man, that's where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go to work. So how can I tie 
this in? How can I tie? I, I love the idea of like synchronicity. There's been signs and signals kind of you're trying to get your attention in your life. And this is a, the greatest outlet for me to kind of connect those dots in, in many different ways. So I love using recent things. I love using like past experiences that have happened to me. I love the little things that seem to kind of wave at you, you know, in life that you're like, oh, wait, man, I heard about that like three days ago and it's come up again. Kind of trying to tie that in there. Just almost a collage of like, you know, current versus uh, past experiences. I, I guess that's, that is kind of where the, the framework comes from. And then after that, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just a matter of, I, I've always been a big fan of coming up with song titles. Song titles give you a place to go. So not only then, that's kind of like, that would be, I guess, step three. So then you get your song title and then I'm like, okay, so I got the, basically the mood or, or uh, like where this is in the story, what the story is, of course, feeds into that. And now I got song titles. So from there, the lyrics just sort of, like I say, they just sort of drop in. It's almost like doing like a Sudoku or like a word puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay, I've got everything refined down to here. It's almost like the words have nowhere else to go. Like you, you've kind of pinned them down. And again, it just sort of comes to you. To your point, there is a bit of, you know, that rough drafts like anything, right? So the rough draft will often take the shape of just an acoustic demo I'll send to the guys and just go, hey, okay, this is the story behind it. This is kind of the presentation that I want to, to happen with these songs and, and why. And uh, then it kind of gets them in the right mindset too. Instead of just coming cold and going, okay, let's play this song. Like I like to give them a little bit of, you know, backstory on it as well to kind of, it, it helps mm. with, their, with their performances. Yeah, and then by the time you, we bring it to the band, you know, the band rehearsals, we already have all that sort of, I guess, that mindset and kind of what we're wanting to do with, uh, with the music itself. And yeah, then it's just a matter of woodshedding and refining, which initially I love. Uh, there's nothing better than like in the inception of a song and hearing kind of what's been in your head put to some of your best friends performing with you. I'm sure you can relate to it. There's nothing quite like it. It's just, it's an amazing feeling. It, it's like one of those, you know, those goosebump inducing feelings where you're like, man, this is, because oftentimes it's better than what, what you can think of because just the way that the guy's bringing, I'm not a bass player. So when Greg starts playing the bass line too, and I'm like, oh man, that's killer. That sounds awesome. So there's this creation energy, like at the genesis or the inception of a song, that's just like unbeatable to me. It's kind of where it gets a little bit, I wouldn't say dull, but it, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like the more refined the song gets, the more... The, I don't know, I, I think just the mechanics of having to play a song over and over and over and over again gets, it's, it's a double-edged sword because on one side, it's entirely necessary mm. to get ready to record it or play it in front of people and have it nice and tight when you have those little nuances, like everybody's moving at the same spaces and the fills and all that kind of stuff. You, it, there's, only, there's no way to shortcut that. There's no way to plan. It, you just have, it's, it's experience. Like you just have to keep doing it, right? So I totally get that. And we do do that when, when, the, when the need is there. But however, having said that, ah, oh man, it's kind of like, I guess I'd use the analogy like, you know, when, when they're filming a movie mm. and you film a scene like 30 times, you got to think the actor by the end's like, okay, can we just, you know what I mean? Like the performance by the end kind of starts going down like this. The rawness kind of gets almost like buffered out of it almost. The song itself sounds much more refined and tight. And there's, you know, those types of things going on. But the passion almost kind of like, it doesn't take a back seat because that's too dramatic, but you get what I mean though. It kind of gets a little mm. bit out of balance when you get that, that deep into it. For sure. Yeah. That's the process, man. And then by the time you get to that point, it's like, okay, time to record it. One, one thing I did want to note, Simon, know that we have been good about with the band recently is to try and get back to like our jamming roots, like the, uh, the mm. improv that we've always been. That's, that's what really gets me these days. I mean, we're, the band's been together for 10 years, so we're pretty good with our ability to just 
you know what I mean? Be on the same page. Like 10 years is feed off each other and stuff. Totally. Right. So we kind of mm. are almost in each other's heads in a sense. Right. We, we know, you know, when Greg starts kind of picking up the bait, okay, this is time to pick up. Like we're very quick and intuitive with each other's plane. So uh, we've, we've really started focusing on doing like interludes, hundred percent improv interludes in between the songs when we rehearse them. So then that, that, that's helping uh, tap back into that excitement that seems to mm. kind of dwindle a little bit when you're woodshedding a song, right? So that's kind of our go around for that. That's been what we've been doing, especially the last two or three years, I would say, where we'll just, we'll get into a, That's how we play our sets now. We'll just like have 30, 45 seconds of like, you know, like almost like an interlude or an intro, pop into the song. That song just sort of fades out almost like a Pink Floyd type situation. I mean, there's so many other bands that do it, but just that's the band that's coming to mind right now. And then purposely just go into like almost like an improv, really challenge ourselves. It can be a little bit risky, obviously, doing improv live. And then you go into the next song. And before you know it, you've played almost, you know, 45 minutes straight of music. You know, also letting the uh, the interludes kind of tone down to the point that you can accept people's applause. They want to be able to talk to each other and stuff like that, too. <laughs> we made a, a big, I don't know, kind of a mistake early on in our uh, music career where we would just do the uh, the slam through a set, you know, as soon as you're done a song, boom, because we really wanted to have that like impact of song after song after song, not realizing it's kind of like having a stand up comedian going up in there and, and saying a joke and then not letting somebody laugh and then going to the next joke is kind of like, but I, you know, I think some of it was a little bit of anxiety and, and shyness on my part as well. Sure. I'm not, not a huge fan of, well, I wasn't at that point, a huge fan about talking in in between songs and such, whereas, of course, I'm a lot more comfortable with it now. Yeah, I guess that's in a nutshell. That's kind of uh, how we create the the whole process and kind of where we are with it nowadays. Awesome. Yeah, and nice segue. You mentioned that the band's been around for about 10 years. Uh, nice segue into finding out how it started. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, always like telling the story. So Brendan and I, Brendan's the drummer. We've been actually playing together for 15 years. Okay. So he was he was in my band before this, and we were, for the most part, we were a two-piece. Well, I should say, I shouldn't say that. For the first couple of years, we were a two-piece. And then we had, Adrian joined the band. So Adrian was the bass player at the time in our, our previous band, Vox Humana. And as with any scene, I'm sure we kind of talked about the, the scene that you were in, you know, with, the, with your band a few years ago there. Yeah, obviously you start, as soon as you start getting out there and playing shows, you start making some friends and, uh, you know, before you know it, we're having, I've always uh, had the luxury and the privilege of having a recording studio in, in, in my house or out of my garage, like a, you know, a pretty fully equipped studio and all that. So I've been really lucky that way. So I would always have these pretty epic, you know, house party jam type things and just having members of bands over and we just hang out and, you know, do, <laughs> do the rock and roll, uh, rock and roll, uh, activities, shall we say. So Greg, uh, the bass player, he was in a couple other bands that we'd always been playing with. So we'd always had sort of a mutual respect and, uh, you know, mutual admiration and such. And I was always just like, because he's a few years older than me. So at the time when I was, you know, early mid twenties, I kind of looked up to him. I, I, I did. I was just like, man, this guy's got his, you know, his ish together. And he's just felt like very much a cut above me as far as playing. Like I said, he'd gone to music school and a performance major and he was always in three or four bands and he was just i was just like man this guy is just off the hook and uh you know we jam and there was just these epic jams that were just you know like i say improv and just like you'd be sweating by the end which you would, normally wouldn't if you're just kind of rehearsing your song so there was something there i think right at the inception of the band which would have been yeah fall of 2011 i actually got a, a grant proposal that went through for ten thousand dollars to record a professional album it was kind of like right at the end of that band. It was Vox Humana, so the human voice in Latin, which was uh, Brendan, myself, and Adrian. 
and we were kind of it had just run its course it was five years we were that was kind of our first band here in edmonton where it was just you know when you're young like that it's like we were living together so we were playing four or five nights a week that's kind of what we did all our and that's why we're you know we could play like one once a week now and still make the most of it. I think it has a lot to do with all that work that we put in at the beginning. Mm. So, and that was all like, you know, do it yourself. That's how I learned how to sing. That's how I learned how to mix and record was through that band, you know? And so by this point, it's like, you know, five years in, and then I got this grant. So I felt like it was, I guess at this point, I felt confident enough to approach Greg and go, Hey, like I got this, do you want to be the bass player on the album? And then hoping that he would like the songs enough to kind of stick around and still be the bass player. Which totally worked. And as it turned out, like I was, you know, it's one of those things that you just have in your head that you think like, oh man, he's not going to like this stuff or, you know what I mean? Just sort of a confidence issue, I guess, at that point for me, because he was, yeah, he was brilliant on the album and and he was a big Mm -hmm. part of the band and has been ever since. Having said that, we've had a few different lineup changes uh, over, over the 10 years. It hasn't been entirely easy as far as managing that. And I'll tell you why. So we had Adrian... And Greg both left after a 2017 album, which is the New Wilderness. And we actually had one of my best friends, Brent, come on board to replace. He he was wizard on bass. He was great lead guitar player. So he could kind of play, you know, jack of all trades. So we had him come on to at least, we weren't really sure what his role was going to be quite at the moment when he first joined in 2017. So by that point, yeah, Greg left, he got married and had a kid. So he needed to take a leave of absence. Adrian as well, he left, moved to Victoria, which is about 14 hours away from here and just to pursue some different things. So it's, and then, so we had Brent in the band as well, briefly, just to kind of have the passing of the torch from Adrian to him. So we were five piece for the better part of a year leading up to that. And right before the CD release party, my, my friend Brent ended up passing away rather tragically. He was 33 years old. He, uh, he had, he was a diabetic. He had a diabetic mm-hmm. seizure, le- lived by himself, wasn't able to get help. As, and it was just brutal, man. It was like a couple hours. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And so I was just such a good guy, man. Like he was, uh, he was just one of those, one of those happy go lucky guys. As soon as you see him, your mood picks up. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, he he helped me out through some pretty dark times and uh, me for him. So that, you know, that was, that was tough obviously. Right. So Especially, yeah, coming right into the album. So obviously we dedicated the album to him. We had a, one last show with Greg in the band and we all were, he was a big Edmonton Oilers fan. So we were all wearing the uh, Edmonton Oilers shirts and, you know, and just to the album, we kind of put him you know, in dedication to him. He actually shows up on this this album here, Skyline. I put him in at the end. I took some of our old audio that me and him of playing just guitar and bass. I just wanted to have him on an album and give him an album credit. Uh, so I put him on Skyline on the end of the this album here, uh, just sort of as a tribute to him as well. So, uh, but having said that, yeah, so Greg rejoined the band for this album, which was a little bit tricky because of the whole COVID thing, the you know pandemic shutting things down for months at a time. So that that made things a little bit dicey for us. That was a bit of the backstory as well. But having said that, if we hadn't had these rather large, uh, you know, I guess gaps in performing and playing i don't think that with the album would have quite turned out the same and what i mean by that is it w- w- initially it was just going to be kind of a straight ahead rock rock album uh not super layered just kind of like a three-piece back to like the original you know greg myself and, and brendan but with these big gaps i kind of started feeling like i kind of got more into like these you know the what we're doing now like like long distance podcasting long distance jamming with jamulus is a great app okay started performing with my brother down in vancouver so he's 12 hours apart we can jam pretty much seamless like without any lag with the technology that has kind of come up from this whole pandemic so i'm like okay well there's got to be something more to this as well so i started thinking okay 
we can get Adrian back on this album. He doesn't necessarily have to be a full-time member of the band, but I can send him the tracks as well. And I can get Adrian back on it because Adrian is such a, a talent as far as he, he does all the piano and keyboards on the album. He does some of the lead guitar again, just a wizard. Like he's such a great musician and it's been four years since he's done anything with the band. So same thing. I sent him the tracks. He just did a little bit, uh, you know, recording on garage band on his iPad and sent me the tracks. And I, he ended up on there. And then as soon as he gets on there, it's like all of a sudden there's these these other elements that I wasn't counting on. And it really changed the the presentation of the album for the better. And my mixes and all that just became so much more lush. Mm. And it really helped with the album with that. And from that idea, I was like, okay, well, I want to get everybody that has helped the band throughout our 10 years on this album. So I've got cameo roles by everybody that has been, you know, a, a band member or part-time band member, whatever it may be. At some point in the album, more or less on like track eight, Skyline. That's why it's kind of a bit of a collage. That we, I call it the homage collage because it's got, uh, it's got everybody that's been on there, including Adrian's son, who's I think two or three years old, oh, wow. kind of shows up in the background while he's, while he's recording. You can kind of hear him doing like a kind of doing the gaga goo goo type stuff. So, yeah. so he's got the album credit too. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the, uh, the the story of the band there. So as of right now, we're a three piece, but on the album here, I guess there's you know, five members plus some cameo roles of different other folks as well. Awesome. So I've kind of flipped my whole interview process around a little bit. Let's get to know you a little bit. I mean, where, where did you come from? Mm. What got you into music? Why did you pick up various instruments? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm from a place called Prince George, British Columbia. So it's kind of, it's like the northern capital of British Columbia, Canada. So BC is like basically the west coast of, of BC is Vancouver. So anybody that's uh, not familiar with the Canadian geography, that kind of paints the picture for you. But I'm up there and, you know, it was 80,000 people. So it wasn't like it was a, a small town by any means. It's a city, right? It's the, the northern capital, BC. And it's, but it's very, uh, how should we say, blue collar like mills, forestry, you know, that kind of thing, just very blue collar people. And, you know, a lot of, I, I do, I guess this is where I kind of got my, my love for walking in, in nature. The house I, I lived in growing up had literally had a green belt. I just had to hop the fence and it was this vast green belt down to the Fraser river. So I spent a lot of time just kind of walking down, walking down in, in the woods. And, you know, a lot of my friends, like their houses would kind of connect through the green belt and all that. So that was kind of, uh, I guess, where I was, the, my house I grew up in. As far as getting into music, always interested, always love it. My mom always said I was, I was singing before I was talking. I was always kind of like into, I don't know, the performance side of things. I, I remember doing like air guitar, not air guitar. I had like one of those sort of blow up guitars that you could get and a microphone that had like all this light show on it and all this. Mm -hmm. I got that for, for Christmas when I was probably, oh man, seven or eight. I had the kid mullet. I, I wrote up tickets for everybody, everybody that came out for Christmas. So my grandparents and my brother, actually, my brother was, this is my first collaboration with my brother. He was hiding behind the washer and dryer and I had a ghetto blaster up there and he would just like reach up and press play for the song. And then, so it'd make it look like I was, I was performing the song. So, you know, at the time I don't, I don't mind saying I didn't have the greatest taste in music. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. obviously guilty pleasures when you're seven or eight. I believe it was uh, like Cinderella, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith. So nothing terrible. It wasn't like boy bands or anything like that. But, but you know, not necessarily stuff that I listen to today either. So that was kind of where I got into the whole, I guess, performance piece. I, I you know, had the sunglasses on and was, was doing this like mock performance of, I think, a Bon Jovi album when I was eight with the kid mullet. So that's kind of where it all started. My mom actually bought me my first guitar when I was, I want to say 14. 
my parents got divorced right around then 13, 14. So it was kind of like, you know, as an outlet to kind of process what was going on. Anybody, I mean, so many divorced parents or divorced children or, you know, children of divorced parents, I'm sure you can kind of relate. There's a lot of, uh, especially in that age, like I was kind of just getting into high school. High school in Prince George was literally grade eight to 12. There was no middle school. So I'm starting in high school. I hadn't hit a growth spurt yet. So I was pretty much a small, small guy at that point, just kind of a target for pretty easy target for bullying, right? As far as just the, the, the hazing, right? Because I'm small. You know, these guys are full grown, almost full grown adults by this point. And, you know, you're the, you're the little grade eight that shows up and, you know, it's easy to just push you into the locker and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, between the, like the divorce and, and some of the bullying and stuff at, at and I was a shy kid. So uh, it was kind of a mix for all of that to need an outlet. Mm-hmm. So that's a mom kind of identified that got me a sweet, like $60 acoustic pawn shop special. And yeah, I got some guitar lessons. So I just kind of started with that, started learning uh, the right way. Uh, my guitar teacher was named Whitey. He was 24 at the time. He felt like he was just this old dude. But, uh, you know, I'm looking back at it, 24 is nothing, right? Mm. He, uh, yeah, he taught me the right way. He showed me, you know, like started with just some uh, some blues rock. So we started with ACDC, blues scales. And, you know, ACDC was obviously huge in high school. So it was like, yeah, that was a perfect place to start. And a couple of guys on my street started getting the electric guitar. And I was like, as soon as I heard a distorted electric guitar and actually saw it in person, I was like, whoa, what the hell's going on? So like I had to get that. So then, you know, that was my next step. I think the next year, by the time I turned 15, I got, you know, my first guitar amp with distortion and my first, you know, $100 electric guitar and just kind of went from there. And basically, by I think we got started our first high school band, probably about 16 or 17. It was my friend, Eric. He started playing drums. Obviously, I was guitar. I tried to sing very hard to sing over super loud music when you're trying to sing through like a guitar amp. I had it hooked up through my guitar amp mm-hmm. that I was playing guitar through. So it was always competing. And I learned, I, I can kind of see where like Chris Cornell, the whole Chris Cornell thing came from, like where he said he used to sing, not baritone, but a lot, lot lower, but just the only way that he could be heard is by singing that like, like falsetto, not quite falsetto that, that Chris Cornell's known for. And that's kind of what I had to do. Like the only way I could be heard was doing like that yell singing and just getting like really high into it. It was just brutal though, because I didn't know how to sing. Mm-hmm. So I was just doing that yell singing and just really bad on your throat and, and all that. But hey, you know, I just... Yeah, you got to You got to learn. You got. I guess kind of paying your dues, right? You're going through all these different phases and and all that. As soon as it, the the one thing was, it was it was tricky to I guess relearn how to sing to sing mm-hmm. properly because I was so used to like this default mode having like that uh, the really tense throat singing. I still catch myself doing it every now and then. But so that was kind of that. We had an unfinished basement in my house uh, as well. So that was kind of our jam spot. I went from kind of sports. I had sports as my outlet for a while and I just completely transferred into music, ended up getting into smoking uh, marijuana, you know, and, and, and my brother was a couple of years older than me. So he was able to boot for me. So then we're kind of getting into that and there's nothing more epic than uh, being a 17 year old getting lost in a dazed and confused by Led Zeppelin cover that we would just play for 45 straight minutes with the psychedelic breakdown, you know, and we're having, hoot, we're passing around the, the, the bong between like during this, the, while we're playing and stuff, it, man, it was like, that was the days, right. As far as like, there's nothing to worry about. It was just fun. And yeah, before we know it, we got at least a collection of songs together that we wanted to get out and start performing. It was always for me, like right from day one, I'm like, I can't just jam in my basement. We got to, I want an album. I want to perform. I want to, if you go go out and uh, yeah at the time like go out on the road and all that that's what we, we thought right but so you know i did like the old school you know uh making your own posters 
going around uh, to music stores going, hey, we got a hall show we're putting on, you know, a complete do-it-yourself do style, right. renting halls and, and doing all that, learning how to do the live sound so we could do our own sound. And yeah, just, uh, and actually there was a, in Prince George, there was Fourth Avenue Blues Club that opened up mm -hmm. and it had open mic nights. So that was our big thing there. We were actually allowed to come in, even though we were underage because uh, legal drinking age there was 19. So we were able to come in and play, but then we'd have to leave right away. So that was pretty epic too, because then you're just like, man, we're in here, a bar with adults, you know, it just felt like, man, this is rock and roll. So that was kind of my, um, uh, one other funny thing I'll, I'll mention is uh, my school always did guitar wars. And this is kind of my most embarrassing moment, but then my most redeeming moment the next year where you just have to go up and it's just literally what you say. It's kind of like the end of, of what's that movie with Ralph Macchiano crossroads, I think where they kind of like, yeah, with yeah yes, exactly. So uh, it, that was kind of what it was based on. It wasn't like you'd actually compete with the other person, but one person to go play, you know, do their show off a bit. Then they'd hand over the guitar to the next person and so forth. So the first year I did that, I was, I'd maybe been playing a year. And I did the, uh, the unthinkable. I remember going up and I was like, oh man, should I just do some ACDC? Like I'm super nervous, right? And you're, you are playing in front of your whole high school. And I remember going to my brother, not that I'm putting it on him, but uh, he, he was the one that suggested it. I just learned st Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> and of course, everybody knows, like you, you just don't, you don't play Stairway to Heaven. I tried. And of course, I was so nervous. So it was just like the, you know, the, the chicken picking, like the hitting every wrong note. And people are like starting to boo because they're like, ah, oh, no, you're, you're not doing that. And I was like so mortified and embarrassed, but I got to the end. I, I obviously did a condensed version of it and got to the end. As, as soon as I started hitting the power chords, everybody's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, thank God. So uh, I'm glad it isn't a ballad all the way through because there's the power chords to kind of help me out. The next year, though, I, st I, I stuck to my guns and did ACDC. I think I got second or something. So that kind of helped. So those are the, the sort of the turning points for me that I just I got that adrenaline dump mm. being a performer. That's kind of what led me to, I guess, you know, that's the basis of, of where I am now with all of that, you know, the, the Fourth Avenue Blues Clubs, the, the hall shows, the uh, making our own posters, doing our, our own albums on like four tracks, like all that stuff is just, it was such a thrill to us. And, you know, I never take that for granted. You know, I listen back to some of the stuff and I can still hear it, you know, with a sense of endearment because I know what people were, where I was at that point and the amount of work and passion I put into it, the songs are, they are what they are. I mean, it's the first set of songs you write. Of course, they're going to be pretty elementary. And, you know, my singing was, I'm yell singing. And so it's kind of hard to listen to at times and yeah, that kind of thing. Right. And the, the, the instruments sound far away because you're using technology. You don't, you don't know how to use and, and all that, but it's, there's a lot of effort in there and there's, I'm, you know, I'm still proud of, I'm proud of all of that, all every stage, you know, it just accumulates to the point of, you know, and here we are talking about the new album now. So that's kind of the, the, the starting point from Prince George. Literally, as soon as I was of age and, and uh, graduated high school, I'm like, I'm out of here. There's just more to do. There's more to see. I just wanted to be in a bigger center where there was more venues. I was at the time wanted to do some post-secondary. So, you know, there's better schools in a bigger center. So we moved to Calgary initially, which is about a million people, a little over a million I didn't find I liked it down there too much. It was a little more white collar down there. Different, just didn't really feel like I fit in. And now Edmonton is basically just a bigger version of Prince George. It's the exact same kind of people, same weather. Like it's it's so similar to Prince George, but it's like, you know, 800, 850,000 people. So that's where I've been the last 20 years. And I guess, like I say, 15 of them have been playing with Brendan and 10 have been with Ground Level Falcons. So got a pretty good run going on out here. Mm. You know, I just doing some Western Canadian shows. Primarily, we just, you know, do our, do our Edmonton thing here, doing some Facebook Live and and that type of thing during the the pandemic to kind of keep, uh, keep us on our toes and everything. But yeah, that's kind of, I guess, 
the long and the short of my music career up to this point. That's awesome. Do you mind talking about what you do for a living? Mm. Or is music what you do for a living? Oh, man, I wish. No. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, another, I guess for me, like I always... I'm all, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I just, I, I guess something in my head and I just stick with it. I don't know if it's loyalty or stubbornness or what, but I guess to parallel doing the music thing, I've, so I've been doing music for whatever it's been, say 22 years for as far as like performing, promoting, recording and such, mm-hmm. actually doing audio engineering for 20 years. Awesome. And I've been doing one particular job, which is I'm working at a grocery store, which doesn't sound as glamorous, but I've been doing it for 22 years as well. And I started as, you know, the part-time 16 year old guy that closes the bakery deli to assistant store manager. So I've done pretty much every job along the way to sort of organically got to the point where I'm like, you know, second in charge of a store. Hmm. So, and it's a pretty big chain here in Western Canada. Anyways, it was Overweighty Food Group and it's uh, Save on Foods is the name of it. So, and it's been great because like, it was a little bit unexpected. It was always, to me, it was always supposed to be my transitional job to before I became like a, you know, recording star or rock star, right? You know, and then just life happens and it's, it's all good, right? Because I ultimately, this job has paid for all my music gear. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a house. I bought a house when I was 23, which was pretty unheard of, wow. uh, you know, as far as my friends and I, obviously not cash, but I, you know, I got a mortgage on a house, I should say. For sure. Right. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. just want to clarify that, you know, so it's like, you know, it's a, everything is kind of, uh, yeah. And then my, my, my wife and I, 15 years this, this year as well. So everything I do, Congratulations. just thank you. Everything I do uh, seems to, I just, I, I play the long game, I guess. Right. And I, I, I'm totally fine with, and I, I wasn't always, I want to, I want to preface that by saying like, I had a real tough time when I was young. I was a very misplaced energy. I had a lot of, um, a lot of issues with just the graduality of life, like uh, the unfolding, the waiting for things. Right. I, mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted what I wanted. And I put these self-imposed deadlines, aggressive self-imposed deadlines on myself with like very binary kind of uh, solutions. If, okay, if this, if I'm, if I don't have a number one hit by this time, two years from now, I'm quitting. I'm not even going to play another note of music, Like that kind of like, why, why would I say that? Right. So I used to do that a lot coupled with, I did have some fairly substantial substance abuse issues for quite a while. So I'm, you know, happy to say I'm sober now. Yeah. Big, big time drinking. I was doing, you know, you know, mushrooms like four or five times a week drinking daily. Oh wow! I actually ended up hospitalizing myself acute pancreatitis from uh, from drinking and you know getting out of the hospital and going oh well, i guess i can't drink hard alcohol anymore you know this is the thought pattern of a uh, you know I, the the addict mind i guess so i'm like wow man that's uh, man that was a close call i guess i'll just have to drink beer now it's just ridiculous right so <laughs> so you know there are a few close calls as far as that goes but yeah no so i save on foods yeah grocery store assistant store manager Having said that, though, I like I, I in all honesty, I, I recently stepped down, like in the last couple of weeks, stepped down from that position of assistant store manager. I'd actually been on a five or just coming out of a six month leave of absence that I took back in April. And you know what it was? And everybody always tries to kind of, I guess, compartmentalize it or the initial reaction is, oh, is everything OK? And, you know, very much appreciate that. But literally all it was, was it's just a sabbatical. I'm kind of surprised more people don't do it. Mm. And it was just, you know what, I was just kind of at a stage where I I felt, hmm, I just felt sort of unfulfilled. And like, I turned 40 this summer and I I was just going, you know what, like maybe, maybe it ties in with the the whole doing 20 years of the same thing. And it isn't the same thing, but it's the same place of employment, I guess. Right. 
So I don't know. It's just, I had this about a, I would say a year and a half before the leave of absence, I kind of circled this as a time chunk of time that I wanted to take off. Initially, it was going to be three months, but I put away enough money to take uh, six months. And obviously six is better than three. And I just wanted to focus on me basically, right? I, I, I'm having a lot of questions, I guess, these days as far as, you know, am I doing things for me or am I doing it because society the pressures of society is it ancestral like is it is it something that's kind of just part of my makeup that i've never questioned if you know what i mean like is it is it my dad in my ear like is it my mom in my ear uh, and things of this nature that i i i started really questioning who i am i guess it's you know and and i wanted to figure that out and i guess the, all i can say is the easiest way to navigate that that i found is removing things that aren't me uh, identifying things that are, you know, you know, you know what this I've tried this, this isn't for me, that kind of thing. And, and, and by removing, I have started to reveal who I truly am. That makes sense. I, I kind of like that, that Michelangelo's David, they, they asked him, you know, how did you know it was complete? He's like, or how did you, I forget exactly what it is. I'm going to butcher it. How did you know it was complete? He's like, or, or how did you create David? He's like, it's simple. I just removed everything that wasn't David. I'm like, oh man, that's like, so kind of, <laughs> Not smarmy, mm. but it's kind of it's funny and it's so true. So that's kind of like how I'm approaching it is like finding myself out by like a process of removing things that I uh, that aren't me. So yeah, I guess I was I I would I would um, be reluctant to call it like a midlife crisis because it's hardly that, but it was definitely sort of an un unraveling a, a point that I I needed to just press pause on the daily grind of this job and career and just like twenty years of kind of just slugging away making progress, but still just kind of, I, I just needed a, a break mm -hmm. from, from something specifically the work, the work was really starting to kind of, to grind on me. So, so that's kind of where I am now. And I'm actually glad you, you asked the question because, you know, coming out of this, I am going back, you know, in, in a much lesser role, I'm going to start as part-time and I'm going to be focusing on, I actually just got my recovery coach level two certification as well as recovery nutrition coach hmm. certification and a couple other different coaching certifications uh, I'm working on as well that really beautifully fit in with those. So I'm going to be working on that because that's kind of my, you know, I got a, a lot of experience and a lot of stories I can share with people as far as specifically, I'm going to focus on recovering from alcohol because that's kind of, that's my, my right. thing, right? So kind of incorporating all that. And I feel that is a little more, um, I don't know, more, more my, my style. I think at this point, I really want to get into the stage where I'm, I'm, Helping, helping people and being of service. And so that was kind of a big calling for me. And everything's just sort of over these past five and a half months of really just one thing after another have just sort of fell into place. And, you know, the old Zen proverb, I think it's the, uh, you know, when the, the student is ready, the teacher appears, there's been people mm -hmm. have kind of come out of the woodwork. I didn't even know some of these things existed. And it just, you know, from even just podcasting, you know, networking and, and you know, putting yourself out there. And that's kind of been, I guess, where I'm going with it now. So yeah, I, I, that's, yeah. In the meantime, it's like, where does, where does music fit in with that? I, you know, it's, I, you always find a way, right. And that's kind of where, where we go with it these days It's I liken it to, you know, guys that play like rec league hockey or uh, things of that such, like you're always going to find time for it. Even if it's just like the one, for example, we got banned tonight, one uh, Monday, you know, Monday eight to 10, if that's all we can do, because there's, you know, there's young kids involved with the other two fellows there, totally get it. But we're going to make the best of those two hours and all the equity that we have in the band and every all the hard work that we put in, you know, at the back end of the 10 years still shows. It's like, you know, you, and you can't, you know, you can't, you can't get away from the experiences that you've had. That's kind of where we are with it. So we can make the best of, of what we have. And, uh, you know, I, 
man, it feels great, you know, to, to still be able to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many people, so many people along the way that we've just, even in the music scene that have just, they've come and gone. They even had seemingly something better going on than, you know, than we did as far as, you know, more fanfare or whatnot. But I, yeah, I really pride myself. And I, I, I think I speak for the, the rest of the guys in the band that we've been able to keep it together for 10 years and, mm. and still find it fulfilling and still want to do it. And we respect each other. There's no tensions. And as far as I'm concerned with Skyline, this is our, our uh, most beautiful, full, complete piece of music. And, and all the guys agreed with it too. So, you know, it's, it's, that's cool, man. That's, uh, that's some, there's something to be said for that. And I'm, I'm obviously saying that from a place of, you know, humility and, and, and modesty. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not giving myself a big pat on the back. But at the end of the day, I know what, how much work was put in, especially on my end, mm. doing the, the mixing and editing and all it was a lot of work and you know i very much enjoyed it but I, I i also know like i can that's why i can say very definitively that i i think this album's fantastic i'm very proud of it and i think it's the best thing that we've done to date so it's yeah great feeling really good feeling that's killer no i really appreciate you sharing all that thanks man you know i obviously this podcast is also about mental health so that that's really great to hear that you're you're finding ways of you know using your own experiences to help other people i mean i feel somewhat that i've kind of done that with the podcast a little bit as well that, at least that's my goal you know having not overcome but experienced like depression and anxiety and wanting to help other people doing that so i i totally get that but i think you know just to deconstruct what you what you've said is i think the fact that you have written about your experiences even though you've put that kind of that that fictional you know frontage i think all that stuff really helps you explore your the things that you need to get out mm. you know i i think and whether it's a therapist whether it's a podcast or whether it's music i think exploring all of those issues in some way like you know that that's what you know music does oh or, but that's why I'm, I'm kind of rambling a little bit i guess that, no, no. that's what talking it's it's like that feedback loop like you it's easier to talk to someone to figure it out by talking and hearing the the voice come back than it is to think it through in your mind 100 by by putting an output into the world i think you're you're really helping yourself to 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 work through this stuff so oh man it's no killer. it's yeah, it's a hundred percent. Like, you know, you weren't rambling at all. It's a, what you said is, is hundred percent truth. Like I think it's a, for a lot of people, and actually one of the, the coaching systems that I've learned is all about changing your narrative by doing exactly what you're talking about. Mm. So if you're, if you're in your head, you know, your story is like, boom, it's like right in your face. Right. But as soon as you can kind of crystallize it, whether it's like you've written it down, you've put it on, on paper, you, even on a Google doc is kind of what we do with the coaching. Right. So I can read it. They can read it. We can kind of see it in real time. As soon as you've gotten that sense of removal uh, and got that space, that's where you can start doing the work on your own narrative and your own self-talk, right? So completely. And then the other the other fascinating part, I, I love how you brought it up, is like, man, there is a, a ever-growing, I guess, market or market's not the right word, but ever-growing, uh, I guess, connection between like recovery and like art and music therapy for the mm -hmm. exact reason you mentioned, because there's a lot of people that are i guess reluctant or afraid or at the end of the day maybe not able to articulate what is going on in their own head mm -hmm. so if you're providing them a different way of getting you know a different outlet whether it's even painting whether it's creative writing whether it's music whether it's just listening to music like there's so many different things that they're showing that uh you know music and art therapy is 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 huge for addiction recovery or just recovery in general 
Mm-hmm. So it's I'm I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because uh, it's it's definitely worth worth mentioning. And for sure, man, this is like it's for me. It's I get a lot of catharsis from from an album release for numerous reasons. Uh, just the fact that I man, it's one of my favorite times is the actual releasing of the album because I've I've we've done enough of them that I can just man. I, and it wasn't always this way where it would be like I'd release it and then be like, damn it, I I should have done that. I should, I could, I start doing all this. I don't do that anymore. It's just like, when it's done, it's out of me. This like weight comes off my shoulders. And it's just like, it's almost removing this huge amount of energy because you've like, you've released it, right? And then as a result, it's, you're almost like this lightning rod for like this new creative surge. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much expecting that. I'm, I'm expecting sounds. I'm, 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 I'm very much open to that right now because we just released it. I already have a concept that I want to work on for the next album. And I, I, I believe that I've, you know, given the energy away or gotten it out. So I'm, I'm going to get it back for it. And it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm super excited because I have a feeling that I'm going to have this like creative outburst sooner than later as a result. But as far as, yeah, the cathartic as well, because I can get, a lot of unresolved traumas and mm-hmm. things in my head in these stories, again, with, like you said, with a fictional front to it. So it doesn't have to be super almost embarrassing sometimes to sing, right? I would say our 2012 album, there's a lot of songs. I, I literally like blush when I sing them now because I'm like, man, I don't, eh, I can't believe I, I was so literal and so open about this. And that was kind of the, the beginning of where I'm like, okay, I got to do something to help me in the, the future me be able to, st- to still perform this song and that's where I, we kind of got into the whole like story storyline layers and that sort of thing plus at the end of the day I, I i really dig you know like m night Shyamalan, you know some of his movies or whatever they're not the greatest but a lot, a lot of them are great you know or stephen king guys like this where they have like this like almost this universe that kind of has can kind of cross pollinate at different times or they have different recurring themes and all that kind of stuff. I really love that stuff. Or even Quentin Tarantino, some really good filmmakers have these little threads or nuggets from previous movies that just kind of tie everything together nicely. And if you're a big fan, you'll notice it, but uh, you, you kind of have to look for it. Mm. So that's how we're going to be presenting from now on is kind of having a little bit more of this like layered fiction behind it to kind of prop it up. And then at the same time, it's like a safe spot for me to express myself without any fear of, you know, my mom hearing the lyrics and be like, oh, man, is everything okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I think that's a really good place to put a pin in it. Totally. Maybe we do a, another round for another album or yeah, man, you know, whatever you want to talk about. But no, this has been a fantastic conversation. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really, really, really inspiring. Makes me want to go. Sit down, do some stream of consciousness stuff for the next three hours. <laughs> yeah, man. That's great. Appreciate that. So if if pe- people want to get in touch, find out, you know, listen to the album, find out more about the band, where can they go? For sure. Yeah. I guess our de facto website is a band camp. So it's groundlevelfalcons.bandcamp.com. And that's all, all one word, ground level Falcons. If you want to communicate with us or interact with us, definitely like us on Facebook. That's I, I'm not a big Twitter guy, not a huge Instagram guy. So definitely like us on there. That's facebook.com slash ground level Falcons, all one word again. And yeah, the album is all released on all the platforms. We've got our entire discography now, including some of the Vox Humana stuff that talking about Brendan and I, I put that under ground level Falcons name as well, just so you can check that out. The, the band before the band, if you will. Awesome. And that's all on your Apple Music, Spotify, pretty much any of, you know, those are the heavy hitters, obviously, but all the, all the other ones like Deezer and uh, the ones I can't really think of right now because I've never used, but there's like 13 or 14 different platforms it's on. So love it if you checked it out. 
And just definitely hit me up just if you enjoy it or if you, any comments on there would be welcomed. And man, thank you so much for having me on the show today, Simon. You're, you're so welcome. And at last thing is I like to play a, a track from the artist I'm talking to. So which track off the album would you like to play? So our first single, it's called uh, Your Face Gives It Away. So it's uh, track number three on the album. And uh, yeah, that one, uh, that one we've been kind of promoting as the first single. So I would, uh, I would love it if you played that for the people. Absolutely. Will do. All right. Once again. Great, great chat. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. So continued success with with everything and, you know, definitely stay in touch. Awesome, man. Thank you. And uh, same to you as well. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians community collectively learns, the stronger we will become. A rising tide lifts all ships. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering a full range of apparel decoration and promotional items, such as screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and much more. The Skinny Armadillo is now offering a merch fulfillment service, including on-demand printing and a custom-built web store, so you can concentrate on your music and running your business as a musician. Visit theskinnyarmadillo.com or call 817-546-1430 to learn how the Skinny Armadillo can help you take your merch to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Ground Level Falcons with Your Face Gives It Away. Your face gives it away I found yourself underneath my leg Yeah.